Our Father who is in heaven, we're thankful for another day, another Lord's Day you've blessed us with to be able to study from your word and consider the things we must do to maintain fellowship with you. Thank you, Father, for being our Father, for being our God, for loving us and exercising and demonstrating that love by giving us your Son. Bless this study in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go over into the book of 1 John, chapter 3. Our study today is going to come from 1 John, chapter 3. We're studying through the book of 1 John. We've considered the first two chapters. And in this study, we're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to give an overview of chapter 3. And let's read the first two verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. These verses right here announce a very powerful reality that we want to begin in this video by, by emphasizing, and that is, that is, if we're Christians, if we are disciples, if we're saints and members of the Lord's church, then that also means we are God's children. We are the children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We have the privilege of being adopted into God's family. That is the reality for every single Christian, and that reality is only made possible, John says, because of the love of God. Because of the love of the Father, because the Father demonstrated his love for us by giving us his son, Jesus, to die on a cross and be a sacrifice for our sins. John says, because of the love of God demonstrated through Jesus, we have a privilege, we enjoy a privilege that, that the world does not get to enjoy. John says that while everybody in the world has been created by God, and while God does love everybody, and while, while God does provide for everybody, everybody is not a child of God. Everybody in the world is not a son or a daughter of God. Only those who are in fellowship with God or who know God or have been born of God or God's children. Only those born of God, according to what we find in verse number 29 of the previous chapter, only those who are in fellowship with God, only those who know God, those are the only people who are God's children. In verse number 1, John says that because of the love of the Father, we are the children of God, and then in verse number two, he says that when the Lord comes again, because we are God's children, 
we are going to receive indescribable glory. John says that because we are the children of God, when the Lord comes back, in some way we are going to become like the Lord. We're going to become like Jesus. We're going to actually see Jesus and we are going to be glorified like him. John says that awaits every child of God. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for what John describes in verse number two. I can't wait for the Lord to appear and we can become like him. We can behold him. We can see him and be glorified in some way like him. John says indescribable glory awaits us when the Lord comes back. But for us to receive this glory, for us to be able to become like Jesus when he comes again, John says in the rest of this chapter that we got to be willing to, to do two things. We got to be willing to do two things. You see, in addition to becoming God's children by being born again, there are a couple of things that we have to make sure we do. And I'm going to list them on the slide before you now. And then we're going to go back through, read the verses and talk about these verses in some detail. John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, that if we really want to maintain fellowship with God, if we really want to know God, if we really want to be prepared to, to receive the Lord when he comes again, then the first thing we got to do is we got to abstain from sin. John says in verses 1 through 9 that the true children of God abstain from sin. They abstain from evil and wicked behavior. And then in verses 10 through 18, he says that the true children of God, they love one another. They love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. They have the same kind of love for one another that God has towards them. And so let's look at the first part here. Go back to 1 John 3. Look at verse number 3. After telling us that when Jesus appears, we're going to be like him and we're going to see him just as he is. In verse number 3 of the chapter, John says, And everyone who has this hope, if you have this hope of seeing Jesus and becoming like Jesus when he comes again, if you have this hope fixed on him, purify yourself. You purify yourself just as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Okay, I just want to give you just an overview, a quick overview of what John is talking about in these verses. First, in verse number three, notice how John says 
John says that if we want to receive the glory that God has awaiting, waiting for us when he comes again, when his son comes again, then we got to make sure we live pure lives. John says that if we want to experience glory when Jesus comes back, if we want to know Jesus, if we want to be in fellowship with Jesus at all times, then we got to make sure we live pure lives. We must constantly purify ourselves. Another way we could say that is we have to live holy lives. We got to be holy like God is holy. This is something that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, Peter is also writing to Christians like John is, and he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, notice the idea of being a child of God. Peter's also emphasizing that. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Notice how Peter says in those verses, and John is saying the same thing back in 1 John 3. Both gospel writers are telling us that as Christians, God has expectations for how we are to live our lives. According to these verses, we learn that being a child of God or being born of God has some very important implications attached to that. One of those implications is we got to live a certain way. We have to live a new way. We got to live pure. We got to abstain from evil. We got to strive to resemble the holiness of our Holy Father who's in heaven. John says that if we want to make sure we're in fellowship with God and that we know God, we got to live holy. We got to strive to be like and look like our heavenly father. And then in verse number four, John continues this thought by talking about the opposite of holiness, and that is sin. He talks about sin. In fact, in verse number four, John gives us what is probably the clearest definition of sin in the Bible. Notice how in verse number four, John describes sin as what? He describes it. That's lawlessness. He says sin is when someone practices lawlessness. What does he mean when he says lawlessness there? Well, he means that sin is when a person violates God's law. It is when a person violates God's standard for mankind. Since the beginning of time, going all the way back to the creation, God has always had a standard for mankind. For Adam and Eve, his standard for them was to make sure that they did not eat from the forbidden tree. 
God told them you can eat from any tree in the garden freely except one. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them the day you eat from that tree, you will die. In fact, God said you will surely die. That was the standard God had for mankind back in the beginning. And unfortunately, both the man and the woman violated God's standard. They practiced lawlessness. They did not respect the law God had given them. And because they violated that law, they sinned. That is how sin entered into the world through lawlessness all the way back in the beginning. And the same thing is true today. My friends, anytime we do something that's contrary to God's law, we sin. We sin when we commit adultery because God says adultery is a sin. We sin when we lie. We sin when we covet. We sin when we are greedy. We sin when we gossip. We sin when we disobey our parents, if we're still under the rule of our parents. We sin when we're unethical. We sin when we commit fornication. We sin when we don't worship God in spirit and in truth. We sin when we teach false doctrine. These are, are, are all sins because they are contrary to the standard God has given us in the new covenant. And John says, John says the children of God are not to live lives where we practice sin. We are not to live lives where we are knowingly violating and transgressing the law of God. In fact, in verse number five, John says that Jesus appeared. He appeared in this world to take away sins. Verse 5 says that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. The idea of Jesus appearing to take away sins means that Jesus appeared in this world as a man to take away the penalty of our sins. He came to redeem us from sins. He came to die on a cross and pay the heavy price for our sins. Here John is talking about how Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then in the second part of verse number five, he says that in Jesus, in Jesus, there is no sin. Those who are in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you're supposed to be in a situation where there is no sin. What does John mean when he says that? Does he mean that as Christians, sometimes we uh, or we're, we're, we're never supposed to sin? Does he mean that sometimes we, we don't sin? Is that what John means? No, that's not what John means. We, we know that because it, back in chapter 1 of this same book, verses 8 through 10, John makes it very clear that as Christians, unfortunately, sometimes we do sin. Unfortunately, sometimes we do practice lawlessness, even as, as Christians, but thankfully we have a mediator, we have an advocate, we have a defender who if we repent and confess our sins, he will bring us back in, into fellowship with God. This book has already established the fact that as Christians, sometimes we sin. And so John is not saying that Christians don't sin. Instead, the idea here is John is saying that those who are in Christ, those who are in fellowship with Christ, those who, who truly know Christ, they don't willfully practice sin. They don't walk around in their, in their lives willfully rebelling against God and, and doing things that they know will hurt God and that are contrary to his law. That's really the idea 
of what John is getting at in verses 5 and 6. John says that those in Christ, in Jesus, that there is no sin, they don't sin. The idea there is, is we don't willfully practice sin. We don't willfully live our lives rebelling against the will of God. John says that if we're Christians, we should not live our lives with a mindset of we're going to sin against God. In fact, John says in verse number seven that when it comes to this idea of sin, we don't need to let anybody deceive us about this. John makes it very clear in, in verse number seven when he says, little children, make sure nobody deceives you. Make sure nobody deceives you. John says you need to understand that in life you got two paths. You got two paths to choose from. Either you're going to take one path or the other path. In verses 7 and 8, he says either you're going to take the righteous path and you're going to live a righteous life because God is righteous and he's your heavenly father, or you're going to take the sinful path, the unrighteous path, the wicked path, and your father's going to be the devil. John says you got two paths to choose from in life, the righteous path or the wicked path, and we all got to choose which path we're going to take. This is part of being made in the image of God. We have the ability to make choices. We're free moral agents. We can choose the righteous path or we can choose the wicked path. In fact, I want to read again verse number 8 because John says something very interesting in verse number 8 of chapter 3. He says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. There are a couple of, of very important realities that John mentions there that I think we need to talk about. First, in verse number eight, notice how contrary to what you may hear on the news or through the media or from other people in the world, John makes it very clear in verse number eight that sin is real. Sin is real. This is something that I really want to bring to light and talk about because we live in a culture and a society where for a lot of people, in fact, for most people, they don't want to talk about sin. Even most preachers today, they don't want to talk about, they don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about things that God says are, are wrong. You see, unfortunately, we're living in a culture where for a lot of people, they just want to hear good and warm and fuzzy messages. They don't want to be called out for doing things that, that God says are wrong. We live in a society where, where homosexuality, it is accepted. Little white lies are accepted. Murdering the unborn, accepted. All these things that, that God says are wrong, we, we accept them, unfortunately, in our culture today so easily. We don't want to acknowledge sin. We don't want to act as though that God has a standard and that standard must never be violated. But John says here that don't, don't deceive yourself. Sin is real. Sin actually does exist. And John says it's not of God. It, it is not of God. It does not please God. It does not lead one to being in fellowship with God. In fact, John says that sin is of the devil. It's of the devil. You see, in this verse, verse 8, John not only tells us that sin is real, it's real, and it's serious, but he also tells us the devil's real. 
The devil is real. And notice how he connects sin with the devil. In verse 8, notice how he says that not only is the devil real, but he says the devil is a sinner. He says the devil has been a sinner from the beginning. The devil has been a sinner from the beginning. That language from the beginning there is commonly used by John, and it is a reference to what happened all the way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's what John is talking about. In fact, John also records this same kind of language in the Gospel of John when he quotes the words of Jesus in John 8 and verse 44. In John 8 and verse 44 Jesus spoke to some Jews who were persecuting him and refused to believe in him. And he said in John 18, verse 44, he says, you are of your father, your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice some things that Jesus says there about the devil. First, notice how according to Jesus, the devil is not only real, he not only exists, but Jesus says he's a father. Jesus says that he is a spiritual father. Someone says, well, who are his children? Well, according to Jesus, the devil's children are anybody who's doing his will. Anybody who's doing the will of, of the devil, anyone who is willfully practicing sin is a child of the devil. And that is true whether that person acknowledges it or not. Those who willfully practice sin are children of Satan. The devil is a spiritual father. He was the spiritual father of these Jews who were rejecting Jesus. But not only is he a father, secondly, Jesus says the devil is a murderer. He says that he is a murderer from the beginning. With that language, Jesus is not talking about the devil being a physical murderer. Instead, he's talking about him being a spiritual murderer. He's referring to the time in which he deceived Eve into eating from the forbidden tree. When the devil deceived Eve into sinning against God, he contributed to her spiritual Death. In that sense, he is a murderer. He has been contributing to the spiritual death of men from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning, and not only is he a murderer, but he's also the father of lies. That means he is a liar to the highest degree. Nobody can lie better than the devil. And again, this is alluding to what happened in the Garden of Eden. This is alluding to how the devil lied to Eve when he told her that if she ate from that tree, she surely would not die when God told her she would die. God told Adam they would die. The devil said they would not die. The devil lied, and unfortunately, they listened to the liar. And so what I just hope you can see is the parallel, the parallels that can be found when you look at John 8, 44 and compare it to 1 John 3 in verse number 8, John is saying a lot of the same things in both texts. The devil is real. He's sinned from the beginning. 
How? Because he's a liar and he contributed to the spiritual death of the first man and the first woman. Here, John, in both texts, he's mentioning the work of Satan. And, and that's something that we, that we always need to be mindful of. We always need to be mindful of the work of Satan. We need to always be mindful of the fact that, according to the scripture, consistently, the devil is evil, he's wicked, he's real, and he's all about sin. He's all about sin. He's all about trying to persuade God's greatest creation, mankind, to practice unrighteousness. And unfortunately, the vast majority of the world listens to the devil when it comes to unrighteousness. They follow in his, his footsteps. They sin against God willfully, but we're supposed to be different than the world. We're supposed to be different than those who are of the world. While the majority of people in the world have the devil as their spiritual father, if we're truly born of God, then God's supposed to be our father. God's supposed to be our heavenly father. And if he's really our heavenly father, then we're supposed to be like him. Instead of willfully practicing sin like the devil does, we're supposed to be practicing righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, John, or verses 1 through 9, I'm sorry. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 9, John's whole point there is that if you're really of God, if God's really your father, if you're really born of God, then you're going to be doing the works of God. Verse 9, if you're born of God, you won't practice sin. Why? Because God abides in you. And it's not that you can't choose the sin, but it's that your mindset is one now to where you're not going to be willfully choosing to sin. You're going to be always be mindful of the love and the grace of God and God's word, and you're going to do your best to abide in that word. And so children of God abstain from sin. That's John's point. But then let's go with verse number 10. Verse number 10 he goes on to say, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil. Notice the same idea of what we found in John 8, 44. God has children. The devil has children. How can we know if we're a child of God or a child of Satan? Well, John says it's obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. If you don't live according to God's law, if you don't live a righteous and holy life, then God's not your, your father. It doesn't matter how many times you may say God's your father. The real test as to whether or not God is your father, according to the Bible, is whether or not you're practicing righteousness. Those who are practicing righteousness really have God as their father, but not only must we practice righteousness to have God as our father and to be in fellowship with God, but John also says we got to love our brother. He says, nor does the one who does not love his brother, for this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we pass our death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Okay, I just want to quickly say a few things about these verses because we're going to continually bring up this topic in the next couple of chapters. This is a big topic to John, and you've probably noticed that already. Notice how John says here, going back to verse number 10, and verse 10 says that not only do the children of God practice righteousness, but he also says they love their brother. They love their brothers and their sisters in Christ. When a person or when a Christian practices righteousness and loves, practices love towards their brother or sister, John says those people are really in fellowship with God. Those people really abide in God. And in verse 11, John says that this idea of loving each other, this is, this is not a, a new message. This is not a new message. He said this is something that's, that's been around from the beginning. We've heard this from the beginning. And doesn't John give a similar thought going back to 1 John 2 and verse 7? In 1 John 2 and verse 7, he says, Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. There in both texts, John is talking about the commandment to love. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your brother, to love your, 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 your sister. Love, John is saying, it's, it's an old commandment. It's always been part of God's standard, going back to the old covenant. It is a core aspect of being the kind of people that God wants us to be. John says we have to love, and he says when we don't love, when we don't love our brother or sister, he says we're just like Cain. Do you remember Cain going back to the book of Genesis, going back to the beginning? And John seems to really like to do that. He likes to go back to the book of Genesis. But remember, Cain was one of the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was someone who was a murderer. He murdered his brother Abel. And the reason why he murdered his brother Abel was because he was jealous of him. He was envious of the fact that Abel offered a more pleasing sacrifice to God. Because of envy and jealousy, Cain murdered his brother. And John says that God's standard is so high for his people that if we don't love each other, if we don't practice love towards one another, we're just like Cain. We're just like Cain. Why? Well, not because we physically we have physically murdered someone, but it's because we have evil hearts like Cain. We have hearts of envy and jealousy and hate like Cain. You see, evil actions are the result of, of evil hearts. Cain's evil action towards his brother started with him having an evil heart. And so God is trying to get to the source of the problem. If we want to avoid doing evil towards one another, we got to make sure we don't have evil hearts. We got to get the envy and the jealousy and the hate and the bitterness out of our hearts towards our brother. If we don't, we don't really love our brother, the scripture says. I want to tell you this. I firmly believe that most of the problems that exist in local churches today are the result of brethren not doing what the verses say here, and that is properly loving one another. I firmly believe that as brothers and sisters around the country, around the globe, if brothers and sisters loved one another with a fervent love, 
with the kind of love God had for us, then we wouldn't allow petty differences and petty disagreements to, to, to cause us to split from one another and fuss and fight and have all kinds of, of problems in, in, in the church. Many of the problems that exist among brethren today are rooted in the fact that they have evil hearts. They don't have true love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a big issue my dear friends, because John says, going back to the text in verse 13, that our love for one another, that is one of the main ways in which we are to be separate from the world. This is one of the main ways in which we are to stand out from the world. You see, the world, and if you don't believe this, then you haven't been watching the news much lately, but the world is all about hate. The world is all about division and Bitterness and jealousy and envy and trying to get ahead of one another as we try to reach our way to the top. That's what the world is all about. The world is not about love. Instead, it's about hate. But God's people and God's kingdom, they're different. They're, they're all about love. They're all about having the love of God. John says that the one who, who hates in his heart, he's equivalent to a murderer. He doesn't have love in his heart. He doesn't have the kind of love that Jesus has abiding in him. You want a good definition of the kind of love we ought to have for one another? Look at verses 16 through 18 of, the, of 1 John chapter 3. There it is. John says the kind of love that we ought to have for one another is the kind of love, the same kind of love that Jesus had for us. Someone says, what kind of love did Jesus have for us? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus had a real and genuine love for us. Jesus had a sacrificial kind of love for us. Jesus himself says that greater love have no one than this, that one is willing to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. And John says, going back to the text in verse 16, that's the same kind of love we got to have for each other. Verse 16, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The Bible says, I, have to, I ought to love you so much. If, if you're my brother or sister in Christ, I ought to love you so much that I should be willing to die for you. And talk about, talk about a high level of love. The question is, do we have that kind of love for each other? I mean, do we really love each other to the point that we're really that we want to die for each other? That's a strong level of love. That's real love. That's genuine love. That's love like God loves. You see, according to these verses, those who have the love of God in their hearts, they don't just profess love. They don't just say I love you to their brother or sister, but they actively show it. They actively show it. They actively demonstrate it by sacrificing. They sacrifice their time. They sacrifice their time to listen to a brother or sister who needs some counsel and is hurting in their lives. They sacrifice their resources. They sacrifice their money or their homes to help a brother or sister who becomes destitute. They're kind. 
They're compassionate. They're always looking out for the best interests of those who are members of their spiritual family. They're not looking to stab their brother or sisters in the back. They don't gossip about them. They don't hold grudges. They're not unforgiving towards them. No, those who truly love their brothers and sisters in Christ, they have a sacrificial, real, and genuine love for one another. They love one another like God loves us. So John says the children of God, the true children of God, those who are in fellowship with God, they abstain from sin and they love. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we'll conclude very quickly, verses 19 down to verse number 24. We know, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure, assure our hearts before him. And whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is, the, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. All right, let's conclude by just uh, putting a few more things on the slide in just the next couple of minutes. Here, once again, John is talking about the idea of confidence. Do you want to know you're really right with God? Do you want to know if you're in fellowship with God? Well, the scripture says you can know that. You can know these things, and you can know them if you abstain from sin and if you truly love your brother or sister in Christ. John says that if you do these two things we've talked about so far— you can live your life with confidence. You can live your life with assurance. You don't have to walk around doubting spiritual matters in your life. In fact, John says that if you do the things we've talked about so far, you can have absolute confidence when it comes to four things. First, John says you can have confidence that you're walking in the truth. In verse 19, John says... That when we practice love and when we stay away from sin, when we don't willfully sin against God, we can know we're walking in the truth. Verse 19, verses 20 through 21, he says, we can also know that we have a clear conscience before God. Even though we mess up from time to time, even though we sin sometimes, maybe sometimes we even sin in ways that we don't realize. Thank God that he knows our hearts. Thank God that he can see into our hearts. He can see we're really trying to serve him and please him. John says that when we live our lives trying to do our best to stay away from sin and love our brother, we can live with a clear conscience before God, and we can also have confidence when it comes to our prayers. We can have confidence that when we pray to God, that God will hear our prayers and he will respond in a way that is in our best interest. That idea there is something that is really found all throughout the Bible. Throughout the, the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see that living a righteous life is absolutely necessary for God to, to, for God to want to listen to and respond to our prayers. This is something found in Isaiah uh, chapter 59. It's something found throughout the Psalms. It's in the book of Proverbs. It's here in John. And then a final thing John says that we can have confidence about if we live righteous lives is we, we can have confidence that we're in fellowship with God. 
We can have confidences. Confidence, verses 23 and 24 say that we know God. John says in verse 23 that if you want to make sure that you know God, if you want to make sure that you're in fellowship with God, then you have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That word believe there doesn't just mean mental assent or just merely acknowledging Jesus. Instead, when you look up that word believe there, especially the original Greek word that is used there, the idea there is, is really faithfulness. Striving to be faithful to God. When we're faithful to God, when we truly believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, and when we love one another, we can know that we're in fellowship with God. We can know that we're truly of God and that we are born of God. John says that those who are truly God's children, they abstain from sin. And they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. When we do those things, we can have confidence in regard to our walk. We can know we're walking in the truth. We can have a clear conscience before God. We can know that God is listening to and responding to our prayers and we can know that right now, even on this earth, we're in fellowship with God. And so John is just continuing the theme of confidence. How you can know you're in fellowship with God and how you can maintain that as you walk in this life. And so that's our study from 1 John 3. Again, I'm just trying to give you a, an overview of the text. I know there are a lot of details uh, that we've left out that we could talk about, but make sure you get copies of the outline. Make sure you continue to study on your own. Read the chapter over and over again because I promise you, the more you read the Word of God, the more you catch things you've never seen before. On Wednesday, Lord willing, we'll continue with the idea of loving one another as brethren in chapter 4. And may God bless you and your family until that time.